Because beauty killed the beast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. My name is John. Joining me today is my co-host, Curtis. How's it going, buddy? It's going, man. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing good. We were just chatting, of course, before the show. Curtis, it's great to have you back, of course, because you were on a long journey uh, to Asia. You, uh, you know, you're an interpret explorer. You are Marco Polo. You saw everything. <laughs> The, 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 I thought you were on the tuk-tuks. You, you got some tuk-tuk yeah, mileage. Yeah, so it was good. Tell us about your uh, travels. It was great. Well, we went to uh, – my friend uh, is doing a course in Bangkok, um, and uh, he went to uh, study with me in, in northern England. So he invited me there, and I thought I'd bring my girlfriend along. So we went to Bangkok, met up with some college friends, spent a few days there. My, I've been there before, but instead of going south, which I did last time, I went north. So we went to Chiang Mai, and we saw elephants most ethically responsible so no riding elephants no bathing elephants that's good and then uh, we went to cambodia which is the first time for me quite different than thailand but amazing place we saw angkor wat which i think is you know one big reason to visit it's just as amazing as you Mm -hmm. see in pictures and it was a great trip and then we went to uh, abu dhabi we lay over in abu dhabi on the way back i didn't like abu dhabi it's a little too hyper capitalistic but uh oh yeah yeah. (laughs) you know but uh it was it was fun to check out so it was a nice break and uh, we're back in the swing of things now so that's yeah good. yeah that's good how have you been yeah it's good, good to have you back I, I i've been doing well yeah things things have been well i'm here in ottawa it's like a beautiful sunny last few days have been like almost plus 30 um spring is here i was out gardening I, i'm a big i love gardening is one of my favorite hobbies so i'm, I'm getting my plants ready i'm planting my uh my viney flowers i haven't even planted oh, yeah, viney flowers, flowers. So <laughs> I, I did some trimming i'm like i cut a bunch of my arm up because that's just ripping up dead plants and you know i'm i don't dress fancy enough like everyone else i i go like pretty pretty commando i just have like two gloves <laughs> and that's it and i'm just like got a scythe you know slicing things. getting into it yeah you know man i'm a yao man i'm a man of the yeah, land what can i say but uh yeah that's that's what i've been up to and unfortunately uh quinn can't join us he's uh he's under the weather so i hope he's feeling better better soon but uh today is actually one i've been looking forward to doing for a while um i love my monster films i grew up loving uh the americanized godzilla films and then now i love uh, those Godzilla and the other kaiju films, you know, like Gamera. Um, but all of these monster movies, whether it's like the Japanese sort of flavors or it's uh, bigger commercial kind of North American Hollywood style films like the, you know, the, the shark movies, the alligator movies, the natural world, animals attacking. Man versus um, All nature. of that, I think. <laughs> I think pretty much all of those kind of movies can kind of be traced back. Uh, the urtext for this being... Um, the movie that just celebrated its 90th anniversary it premiered in new york city uh a week ago i think last week uh 100 years or sorry 90 years ago last week this is the 1933 film king kong uh directed by uh marion c cooper and ernest b uh Shotsack. um a movie that i i think um of course when it came out a massive a massive sensation a huge box office hit um, with also, I, I never even realized this, but there was a sequel that came out the same year, Son of Kong. It was they released this one relatively early in the year, and Son of Kong actually, I, I think it only took six or seven months to to film, and it came out like right near the closer to the end of the year. But um, a film that was a huge sensation. Um, we've seen, of course, King Kong is one of those classic figures in 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 film history. I think we mentioned before with some of the other films we've covered, like or, or that we've mentioned in our you know what we watched stuff like the godfather even if you haven't seen it before you've probably seen it 
by proxy of the Simpsons. Like you've seen every scene parodied in like everything. Uh, uh, this, uh, you know, ironically, of course, this film also was sorry. Coincidentally, this film also parodied on the Simpsons as well. Um, King Kong is just kind of part of film culture. Even if you haven't seen King Kong, that you've iconic seen shot it. at the Empress the Empire State. You know, it's everywhere with the fighter planes going yeah. out. Yeah. Him climbing up the the Empire State Building, him on the top of it, him in chains, Skull Island, the Monster Island itself. Um, there's so many symbols and, and shots that are in this film that have been and kind, kind of, of done. Kind, in, in kind of a fun connection. Well, we know that uh, Peter Jackson redid King Kong, but uh, the Sumatran Rat Monkey, which is in Dead Alive, is actually on Skull Island too. So <laughs> another oh, piece of right. nastiness yeah. <laughs> from that island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, this movie, as mentioned, like this movie's had some kind of remakes, sequels, remakes, Son of Kong. Uh, there was a 70s King Kong remake with, uh, I, I think Jeff Daniels was in it. I can't, I've actually, it's been very long since I've seen it. I believe Kong climbs up the uh, World Trade Center in, in, in that movie. And of course, more recently, we've had adaptations, like as Curtis mentioned, the Peter Jackson one. There was the, uh, and, and now more recently, Kong is in the MonsterVerse. So Kong, of course, has a, has a long association as the rights were owned by Toho. They did King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus King Kong. I always mix them up uh, in the early 60s. And then, of course, recently with uh, Godzilla versus King Kong and all those. So I'm um, still, still a relevant figure uh, today in film. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about King Kong when we get to it. But uh, before we do, uh, as we always do, getting into our uh, watch list editions, new stuff that we've added or want to check out that we're interested in watching. So, Curtis, anything new on, on your list? Yeah, so I had a couple added to my list, too. Um, so obviously, cool. after we talked uh, Blade Runner, the last podcast I was on, uh, I found out about this TV series. It's like an anime series, Blade Runner Black Lotus. I think it's on Netflix. Oh. Kind of a short series. I don't know if it's any good. I heard good things, um, but I was really impressed it's, with it. It's the, like the White Lotus. It's the same universe. you know. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's nicer <laughs> in this show, but hopefully I still, it's still a dystopia. But um, yeah, I thought I'd check that out. You know, I don't know if any oh. of the other uh, people from the original film, really Scott, is involved with it, but yeah. kind of cool to see to explore a little bit more of that universe. So I wanted to watch Certainly. that. Um, I also wanted to watch the Netflix miniseries my girlfriend recommended to me uh, called Unorthodox. And I think this is about a, a woman. She's from this Orthodox Jew community and she leaves. And I think there's a lot of repercussions. She moves to America um, and it kind of explores that. That's on Netflix. Um, I was reading a lot about uh, free diving and stuff and people diving into blue holes and things, scary stuff. Uh there was a really interesting uh, documentary called uh, Dave Not Coming Back. It was about an experienced diver. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen that one, but uh, it looked kind of interesting. I did watch it. I thought pretty it was he- pretty he- good. He- uh... Heavy stuff, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's and the, the way that the film was made, I think like the story behind it is just so interesting. And uh, the amount of footage they had, you know, obviously because of the circumstances, I don't want to spoil too much. I mean, if you watch the trailer, you you know what's going on. Like you you have a good sense of of what's happening. But yeah, it's uh, definitely definitely heavy material. Gotta say. Yeah, I never go easy with those documentaries. And then the last one I wanted <laughs> to watch was um, it's a new Netflix uh, documentary. And Netflix, you know, sometimes they have some really good ones. Uh, this is called Money Shot, the Pornhub Stories. You could probably guess it's about the mm-hmm. Pornhub, which is a huge industry too, but not without its controversies too. So I think this kind of explores a lot of the nuances, what it's like for the performers. Unfortunately, uh, my access to uh, Netflix is kind of uh, not available right now. So I might just get my own account and try to watch it too. Um, what do you? What did you add to your watch list? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few in my list. Um, I have a Chinese film from 1994 called Back to Back Face to Face, directed by and I'm going to butcher all these names, uh, Huang Yangjing and uh, Yang Zhao. Uh, this is about a, a character named uh, 
Wang Xuangli, who's a deputy director at a local cultural center in China and hopes to kind of be appointed director, get that promotion they're looking for. However, uh, another figure named Old Ma is brought in from the country. They end up being installed as director. This kind of starts a whole long chain of events in the film. Um, Wang uh, is sends kind of cronies um, um, using the bureaucracy available to try to kind of get rid of old mod outs the director to take over. And at home, uh, Wong is also dealing with problems because his father wants him to have a son uh, to kind of carry on the family name, but he's unable to do so because of the uh, China's at the time one child policy. So the film, when it came out, was like a very huge hit. It was like a very um, transgressive film, you know, kind of really looking at kind of China's political culture um, and like really like skewering it. And also, you know, the social political culture with its one child policy as well, too. Um, so a takedown of the Chinese political world. Um, this film had pretty big downstream consequences. Uh, I think uh, uh, Young Jin, Young Jin um, also uh, disappeared for like four years after the release of this movie. Um, they, they never said that they were in a prison, but it was like they didn't make another movie for four years. <laughs> and ever since they've come back, all they've made is propaganda films. So it's like, OK, mm. something happened here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really want to check, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know how well available this movie might be. I'm sure it must be somewhere online, but uh, uh, I got I got to check this one out. Um, I've heard this more to it than just the description. So uh, another one on my list, a little bit more sh- uh, sleazy, is uh, Gary Sherman's <laughs> like 1982 Vice, Vice Squad. Uh, this is about an unlikely Hollywood ho- hooker helping a detective set up a trap for a mutilator pimp. Mutilator so pimp. <laughs> I, I wrote it. I wrote down my notes. Pure sleaze. So I'm I'm excited to. Uh, I can almost check taste, that, taste that the grime. Feel the grime. <laughs> Yeah, that. and I don't, a more conventional one on my list, uh, by my by, by Nick, sorry, by uh, Mike Nichols from '98. Uh, this is uh, Primary Colors, so it's a uh, kind of an adaptation of a of a Romana Cliff uh, about sort of Bill Clinton's run to the White House. So it's about uh, this young and gifted politician um, uh, named uh, Jack Stanton, this governor. Um, it's kind of following his young uh, uh, kind of political. Uh, I got chief of staff, but like kind of the guy who's helping to run his campaign. Uh, his name's Henry Burton, um, and he's pulled into this politician's world, dealing with Stanton's quote unquote wandering eye, uh, the ambitions of his wife Susan, and an outspoken advisor named Richard Jemin. So it's very much of its time. It's very obviously based on kind of the Clintons and kind of the political world they were in in the '90s. And I'm sure it's a very dated at this point kind of film, but uh, <laughs> I'll be fun wanna, to watch. Want to check that one out? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, so I guess that that can guess take us into um, what we watched this week. Then I, I I'm not sure how much you watch Curtis because you you know do a lot of traveling and stuff but <laughs> anything new that you've uh, checked out in the last time you've uh, you've been on yeah so I tried to condense a little bit I'll talk about I, I played the video game bro for us but I'll talk more about that next week um so sure. last time I was on I talked to I watched a, a documentary called the toolbox murders it was about the toolbox murders and I watched another yeah. one on this 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 case and it was really interesting it was called the devil and the death penalty and they walk you through the crimes actually step by step which is pretty gruesome of what these two killers in California in the 70s did. Um, I won't mention their names, but um, this is interesting an interesting case because um, obviously I'm against the death penalty, but they looked at kind of the the the, the legal trials behind it too. Uh, so the the main instigator behind the the crimes was given the death sentence, but because they had a moratorium in California on the death sentence, he was sitting on death row for like you know three decades, and yeah. he would cut he would have all these like little petty kind of complaints and stuff and eventually they made a law that he wasn't allowed to complain because he was just he was just kind of trolling basically and just a nasty piece of work but yeah pretty gruesome they took you through the the case step by step too and it was really well done almost uh 
very low budget but really well done and i think it's it's nice to see those low budget crime documentaries too and not just like super netflix sheen ones that don't have much to say so uh yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed that and that was a nice companion piece to the toolbox uh, murders the one i watched last time so uh, then i watched uh I watched my girlfriend, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which I've been wanting to see for a oh, while. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, you it was a lot of it, it was yeah. a lot of fun. I had, uh, I mean, I was coming from Cambodia watching it too, so there was a lot of poverty, as I mentioned, in in uh, Cambodia when I was there. Lovely people, lovely place, uh, but it was hard. It's like know, this movie really is hard uh, to watch after yeah, that. Yeah, this <laughs> ostentatious wealth, and I was like, well, I don't, I really don't want to go to Singapore anymore. And uh, <laughs> what I think I did like about it, like I hated the the hyper capitalism of it, but they were also kind of making fun of a lot of the materialism of of. Uh, you know, a lot of these families. Um, but I think it was really nice to have a lot of kind of full Asian cast in the role too. And I, yeah. I really liked uh, the main character, uh, Rachel Chu. She was, she was fantastic too. Um, lots of fun. And I love seeing Ken Jeong. He's great and everything. <laughs> I just see his face and I just start laughing. Cause I know he's gonna, he's just got his ideas in his head. Um, but it was mm. kind of fun to watch kind of a little bit fluffy. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'd love to see more films with like a full Asian cast too. And I mean, it's still that kind of Westernized, but it was kind of fun to watch, so that was good. Um, and then I watched uh, Poetic Justice, which is a uh, film with uh, actually starring Tupac Sh Shakur and mm -hmm. um, and Janet Jackson in an unlikely kind of uh, relationship. This came out in 1993, um, made by the wonderful John Singleton, one of my favorite directors. He did Boys in the Hood and actually another film, Higher Learning, which I also really liked. Uh, mm -hmm. The film also co-stars Regina King in an early role too. And it's um, about this woman... Uh, and her boyfriend's been killed in front of her and she writes poetry and then she goes on a road trip uh, from uh, LA to Oakland Oakland's in uh, near San Francisco in California and um, she goes with her uh, her love interest who is, who's played by Tupac Shakur who's this postal worker and I mean great setup the first half hour 45 minutes were really good I thought I liked the chemistry between the two leads and I thought it was really great role for Tupac Shakur too because uh you know you always see him as this kind of tough guy but he has this kind of more vulnerable side to him here too I mean not un, un uncontroversial but and uh I think it was nice too to have more American African-American female voices uh as a centerpiece here where it started to kind of go off the rails was when they went on the road trip I just felt it lost a lot of that kind of uh nuance um and I think what John Singleton d does really well is he captures communities really well. So when they're doing road trips, I feel it, it was a lot of loss. I didn't really know what the point was. And by the end, I, I kind of, my mind was kind of meandering, which is too bad. So but, now, uh, yeah. yeah, I think, I think if you like his work and I think if you're interested in seeing Tupac and Janet Jackson in more kind of diverse roles, this is uh, worth one that's worth checking out too. And obviously, you know, he, he always has a lot to say in his films too. So, uh, but just not my, my favorite, I think. And I watched uh, which what I did think was great was um, well we saw a lot of elephants in Chiang Mai. I was in an English bookstore and I got a book on the Elephant Man, who is also known as jo Joseph John Merrick. Merrick. Yeah, Joseph okay. Merrick. Yeah, so uh, it's a uh, he was a Victorian man who is severely disfigured. We think he might have had nowadays they're not really sure, but maybe Proteus syndrome too. So severely mm -hmm. disfigured, and he was kind of uh, taken in by this surgeon. And uh, David Lynch unusually did a film about him, probably his most. Uh, accessible film 1980 uh, the elephant man starring um anthony hopkins as a surgeon and john hurt <laughs> fresh out of alien as uh <laughs> joseph merrick um so really well done done in black and white too i mean some really kind of disturbing you know lynchian scenes you know the beginning with the elephant yeah. and the and the mother and i'm like well because the, the theory was that you know the, the moment the mother got knocked over by an elephant so it led to this kind of malformed offspring which is ridiculous mm. but um, yeah, it's it's really well done. Very sensitive to 
I mean, it really makes you care about uh, Joseph America, which I thought was well done and yeah. uh, really moving story. So it's not like a lot of Lynch's Great other performance stuff. too, I think. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's William Hurd, right? He does... Uh... Oh, no, it's uh, John Hurd, I think. So at, oh, sorry. Really, yeah. Yeah, so it, he's really good in it, isn't it? You don't even recognize him because the makeup was incredible. And I think the they created the makeup category after this film because it was just amazing. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And then I watched, uh, last one I watched was uh, another film that I really enjoyed, uh, James and the Giant Peach, uh, cl- childhood classic too with Barry Margolis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's about we're a family. We're yeah. family. Right now. It's like little songs in my head. I, I, I mean, just watching it again, <laughs> this is a children's film. I mean, it's Roald Dahl, so it's always quite a bit dark. Yeah. But uh, like, man, how how insidious are those ants? Like, they're like, careful, the rhino will get you. They just killed like our 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 siblings or whatever but they might kill yeah, my nephew creepy. too yeah uh and i i was wondering if there's like a magic realist side to it too i mean i always take the film at face value as i do with all of roald dell's other stuff but i mean you know the black rhino is like a metaphor for trauma and i mean the uh the bugs represent kind of a surrogate family and i'm like maybe he actually immigrated on a ship to new york i have no idea mm-hmm. but i mean it was great watching and again my girlfriend didn't know she'd like it she loved it um Really beautiful, the stop motion, oh, too, really moving story. I think Henry Selleck did it, who did Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think it's as good as it could have been. So uh, great movie, especially if you like Roald Dahl's books. Um, mm-hmm. What did you watch this week? Uh, yeah, I watched uh, quite a few things. I, I'd watched uh, some stuff uh, kind of earlier last week. So um watched, uh, watched one on Arrow. Um, this one, I believe, is by... Um, I think this one is also uh, produced by Charles Band, so it's part of like the full moon kind of... Uh, production company this one is the uh 1978 film laser blast which uh is uh in a nutshell is about this kind of teenager and i think it's in california yeah and he uh uh he's kind of a loser uh but <laughs> we, we see earlier in the film there's this like alien strange alien who lands who has this laser gun and these cute little like stop motion shallow turtle creatures like come down and they like kill him and they fly away, but they leave the big laser gun. And the teenager ends up at some point, picks up laser gun. He's like, has a goofy scene where he's kind of pretending to shoot it. And then finally shoots it and, you know, blows up and uh, kind of sets him on a rampage, uh, uh, you know, going after his bullies. And the the gun also kind of like possesses him in a way. And it's, uh, oh. I mean, the movie is honestly uh, pretty, pretty mindless. I, I, although I will say there's about a... I think six slow motion car explosions in the movie where they blow up a car and it happens and you're like, wow, that's cool. And uh, you see it five more times after that. So I, I thought it was uh, pretty funny. So if you <laughs> love slow footage. motion car explosions, uh, this is the movie for you. Uh, I <laughs> love the little uh, alien turtle guys. I thought they were very cute though. They don't really show up all that much in the movie, which is kind of a shame, but um, it's on, I, I saw watched on Arrow video. So it was a, uh, pretty good experience um also finally watched for the first time a movie that i've been wanting to check out for a while uh interstellar the uh, oh, christopher right. nolan movie that's a good one um it's kind of you know i'm getting kind of annoyed because I, I you know recently <laughs> avatar the new avatar came out and everyone's like james cameron you know you vulgar tourist we love james cameron oh he's so great even though like you know his personality is a total fucking dick but everyone loves him <laughs> and christopher nolan oh he's cringe bro tenant sucks uh I don't know. Christopher Nolan, like this movie fucking rocked. Uh, I, yeah, I was very it's, it's blown away by this movie. It's pro, brave pro science too. It's it's great. Uh, the, the way it kind of handles its material, the science of space travel and, and kind of the theory of, of relativity with time and space. I thought the movie was very captivating and God, just they, fucking, emo- I was an emotional have, wreck watching this movie. They have that, movie. that great scene too, where they like, he just shuts down the Apollo Hawks. <laughs> 
Apollo hoax people. And I was like, I love this this already. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's been a while. I I'm, I'm actually want to revisit a lot of the Christopher Nolan stuff, but I mean, I would have a hard time saying this isn't probably his best movie. Um, I'm actually fucking kicking myself for not seeing this in its original run. Cause it's got like a 70 millimeter, like IMAX mm. release when it came out. And I'm like, I, I was watching it on my TV behind me and I, it was, it looked amazing and it was beautiful, but I was like, if I had watched this back in the day, I would have like been tears in my eyes. Like I would have felt like total euphoria. I thought the movie was just very emotional, very powerful. I loved Matthew McConaughey in it. And Hathaway was amazing too as Dr. Mm -hmm. Brand. Um, I, I love how like the, the film kind of dealt with like the idea of, you know, space is, is silent. There's no sound in space. There's nothing for sound waves to bounce off of. Um, and like, there's some really great scenes. You know, the movie has a great Hans Zimmer score, but there's a lot of really great moments in the film where they kind of cut away from the score. They do something different with the sound than you'd expect. Like that great scene where the guy's freaking out and, the, and they, he puts on the headphones with the kind of nature sounds. And you <laughs> feel like you're walking into like a little nature booth or something at like a museum or it, like you, it takes you there. And, you, and I felt calmer in that moment. And I, there's some really great and sound work. There's an it's like, Without yeah. spoiling it too, I think there's a really interesting, uh, you know, pseudo continuation with between this film and um, the Martian with da Matt Damon's character because he he's kind of yeah, nice in this movie. In it. Yeah, he's kind of an asshole in this movie, <laughs> but like the get Martian. this guy a plane home already, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. get him off this fucking planet. <laughs> yeah, his mind rot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I loved it though. I thought it was brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, I was blown away. I was like, I can't believe I finally watched it. Like, I should have watched this years ago. Um, yeah, and it might be, it might be, might be Noel's best movie to be honest. It's kind of a rare film too that actually does a good job of kind of blending the hard science and you know without sacrificing the story and making everyone kind of happy in that way yeah in a way that you can really follow it too like you know this yeah. is some pretty complex scientific material but the film presents it in like a pulpy kind of pop way but in a way that does feel authentic and from what i've read from people who actually understand um the science a little bit better apparently the film does actually capture a lot of it very well so at least that's what people claim especially with black holes in fact i think when they they only recently finally photographed a black hole proper and uh, actually it appears spherical just like it does in this film so it kind of like this film predates what we actually now know is the that actually is what black holes look like so it's kind of cool how they were right there on this but um yeah fucking amazing film i was like so blown away by it i was like you know it's hard to you know these days especially you know i go to a lot of art house rep rep screenings where it's you know a mix of you know sledge and indies it's nice to watch a really big budget proper theatrical thing that just floors you and i think you know we we really got to be nicer to christopher nolan because he's kind of the last one he's one of the last ones you know oppenheimer is going to be coming out i guess not soon probably near the end of the year it's getting delayed but i mean there's no one else out there quite doing it like him and we actually kind of have christopher nolan to thank for being one of the last guys to really push for uh cinemas and releasing in these theaters so i mean i hope i hope uh Hope Oppenheimer's good at the very least. I, I didn't see Tenet, but people complain about Tenet all the time. So yeah, it's um, not bad, but it's it could be a lot better. Yeah. So um I, I'm also been watching, I've been catching up on my Godzilla's this week or yesterday, actually. Uh was I was in the theaters uh for a anniversary screening. So I've been catching up on my Godzilla's the last one I had watched. Uh last week I'd mentioned Invasion of the Astro Monster. Very boring, very placid film. You know, it's the first like King or the second King Gita movie, and it's it's a total snooze. Uh, but don't worry, folks. 1966 out comes Ishiro Honda, who I love. But in comes uh, uh, Yoon Fukuda, who's um, directed the next kind of series of Godzilla films, directed this one, Son of Godzilla, and also directed um, a few other ones like uh, the first Mechagodzilla movie, Gigan, Megalon. Uh, Yoon Fukuda, 
he's a bit different from Ishiro Honda. His movies are a bit sillier, campier. Um, even the Godzilla fights, the, the choreography feels more kind of like a pulpy Batman style. Um, but I watched that uh, Ibra Horror of the Deep, or also known as Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, which is, in my opinion, a, a great film and a very underrated Godzilla film. One of the best of the Showa era, uh, a movie. What I liked about it was just like there really isn't that much monster stuff, which usually is a red flag in these movies where it's like, you know, you're an hour in and there's like no monster action. You're kind of like, what's going on. But in this film, it's actually quite captivating and fun. It's about this uh, brother who's, who's his, his brother is, is kind of lost at sea. He's gone. Um, we find out he's actually on the Island with all the, the Mothra people uh, doing their, you know, Mothra song and doing all that. And he's trying to go after <laughs> him and him and his, him and his friends, uh, they try to win this like dancing contest to get a boat and they don't, but they end up stealing a boat. There's actually a guy already on the boat who claims to be the owner um, and they take off and they find out he's actually a thief uh, himself. He had robbed a bank or he robbed a pachinko machines and he's actually like a, he doesn't own the boat either. So they're all kind of in on it and they end up the, the guy takes him out to sea. Uh, we meet Ibra, who's the big monster in this movie, this like giant crab thing, really cool. Um, design it looks just like a proper large crustacean and pretty cool with its little pincers grabbing people like little peas on a plate and eating them um the the, the ship breaks apart they land on this island and it kind of it's a little bit of like a little 70s political thriller kind of thing it, it reminded me a lot of god those like um guy hamilton james bond movies because i've been watching a lot of those so like a lot of the like late connery early more like man with the golden gun uh you only even like a little bit of like uh um, not Diamonds Are Forever, but like Spy Who Loved Me, like a lot of these movies with like these island locales with these secret bases. There's a bit of that with this kind of like organization on, on the island. Mm-hmm. And of course, our good old buddy Godzilla is taking a big long snooze here as well, too. Uh, but yeah, this movie, uh, really fun, really colorful. It's a nice change of pace. I love Ishiro Honda, but God, he's a little bit of a snooze at times. Very slow. <laughs> you know, this one it's is really fun. Great choreography. I love when Godzilla's fighting, um, when they're when they're taking on uh, uh, Ibra, like he has like the cool the surf rock kicks in. It's very swinging and very bold. It's it's a much more engaging film, and the ending of it's really kind of fun too. So I, I think Ibra is great, and I had a blast with it. So really great uh, entry to the Godzilla series. Um, other ones I watched, I watched a Netflix one from 2018. Um, actually, my wife was watching it, and I was kind of like in and out, and then sat down and watched it called. How it ends, kind of a big budget disaster, well, not big budget, but a disaster film about some world cataclysmic event. And then uh, uh, there's a, a guy who's he's with his father-in-law and he has to drive to meet his wife. Anyways, the movie blows. It's so boring. Forrest Whitaker's <laughs> in it. God love him. But the movie's a fucking this mess. One. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't care if it's a cataclysmic event. Uh, it doesn't matter because uh, I don't know what the fuck's going on. They don't actually really explain anything. Like, you don't really know what's actually happening. Like, we know there's an earthquake and otherwise, like, things just seem to crazy stuff happens but there's no real uh rhyme or reason for anything and it's it was just really boring um just a mindless movie so didn't didn't like it all that much um and the ending the ending was like (laughs) the ending was dog shit when i saw the ending i was like (laughs) that's it that's the ending that's how you end this movie it was one of those reactions so not good it it didn't even live Um, up to his name (laughs) yeah it didn't it did it did not live up to his name that's a bit of spoiler but it definitely did not end up uh, it did not live up to its name um it, yesterday I also went out to the theater, so I'll, I'll wrap wrap this discussion up. Uh, I went out, so actually this was two days ago. Went out uh, to see the new the film that everyone's been talking about. Uh, got a big TIFF release last year. 
Um, and now, of course, it um, it just released theatrically from Neon. This is uh, Daniel uh, Goldhaber's film, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, based, I believe, on a book as well, too. Um, this one tells a story about a group of people across the United States, uh, a, a woman, a young woman in California, who whose mother has passed away and also another woman she's friends with another woman who has a, a as a late stage leukemia who also has a partner who works and it's like oh, this connection of web of people uh, i was really inspired and kind of captivated by Dwayne, who's this like local don't tread on me conservative you know beatnik type in texas who owns the land that gets re, you know eminent domain so his land is taken away from his family that's been in his family for generations uh to be given to these oil and gas companies and so he's in on it he's he wants his like kind of to to you know to kind of get revenge and all these people meet up from you know they they connect each other through the internet and through each other uh the movie is really about this big plot that they're going to do which is to blow up a section of the pipeline uh that's being built by this fictional company in in west texas and uh it's very interesting what i really loved about it is that any other movie would have been like let's unpack this let's spend a fucking hour talking about the you know the pros and cons of this no this movie assumes you're in on the premise or at the very least um, wants you to just be like, you know what? These are what the characters believe in. Take it or leave <laughs> it. And the film makes it very clear that this, uh, what would normally be called by some people terrorism, is actually, as one of the characters of the film calls it, an act of self-defense as a necessary mode of change against the system, which is uh, killing us. And I tend to be inclined to believe that. Um, I'm not going to tell you uh, what you should feel after watching this movie, but I let's just say I wanted to blow up a pipeline myself after watching. I thought the movie was very <laughs> compelling. Um, there was a lot of discourse on Twitter about it, of people saying that the film wasn't really all that didactic. It felt a little bit, uh, you know, because this was a TIFF screened film. And I, I don't know, I, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to make a more commercially appealing film uh, than this. That also kind of marries it with, genuine kind of revolutionary messaging i thought the film is very uh politically inspiring but also as an actual kind of action heist movie really well shot it has like a total 70s 80s political thriller mood um very synthy score it's shot a lot like like a john carpenter film or like a michael mann film like assault on precinct 13 vibes at times with this where it's kind of swoopy large uh large uh panavision shots uh with its kind of floaty cameras and, and west texas is really beautifully shot here there's some really great scenes um there's some really kind of quiet moments too is a scene where the one of the main characters sochi walks is up walks up and puts her hand on the pipeline as they're driving up and she you, she, you could kind of feel her feeling just the total power of the oil being pumped through and she looks and you just see it's like miles hundreds of miles of this thing it's <laughs> it's incredible and uh there was some genuine interesting twists with the plot that I, I wasn't expecting. I totally thought there was going to be a lot more like red herrings than there wasn't. I totally fucking love this movie. Really well shot, really engaging, uh, great characters, really funny too at times. There's some really great um, kind of character moments. Uh, one of the characters is kind of like a bomb guy, like sets off bombs and like seeing what he's doing with the kind of trial and error stuff was actually really funny. Um, and there's some kind of fun moments, but it, it it doesn't waste a lot of time. Like it's only I think like a hundred minutes, but like it does not. There's no there's no dead time. It's just all building the plot, character development, just like pushing things along. And uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant film. And it's gonna get some buzz. I think it's getting its wide release this week. It's gonna be out for for sale and all that. So I hope people check this one out because it's um really great film. And even if you don't, you know, if you're not a if you're not politically minded to think it's a message is all that, whatever. I still watch this. I mean, I think it's, it's really fun. It's really great to see a film, uh, 
engage with material in such a like aggressively political way in a way that you know is so different than a lot of other stuff out there a film that's kind of act actively making the case for a violent act of 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 destruction of property against companies that are destroying our planet so i thought it was very um i wanted to stand up a cheer at times i thought it was great um and, and moving along though watched a few other things uh yesterday rolled out for the 55th anniversary of destroy all monsters the next godzilla film not the next in the series but uh a, a few films following uh bira i i love destroy all monsters i think it's a great film ishiro honda's back you know folks take it or leave it ishiro honda you get beautiful widescreen uh, cinematic shots a lot of bureaucratic discussion about how Godzilla and the monsters are managed by these, you know, this country level government. It's very dry and they meet aliens and it's, it's so boring. And there are a lot of stretches of this. I was kind of snoozing, but the last, the last action, the last act of this film where they assault all the monsters are there going after the, uh, I can't remember the name, the Clackians, the aliens and, and Ghidorah yeah. shows up pure cinema. Like I, it was great. Oh, and we get Miniella. I, lo I love Miniella. I'm a huge Miniella fan. And I, clearly a lot of people who watch this movie aren't very familiar, at least in the theater, uh, weren't very familiar with Godzilla because uh, as soon as Miniella showed up, like people just could not handle it. They were laughing. They were like in almost in tears, crying, laughing. Uh, people, people love that little guy. Uh, maybe not in a way that that I would like, but it's, it's a silly movie, of course, but like, it, it's, I think when you have to go watch these Godzilla movies, it's very easy to laugh them off, but they're taking the material very seriously. Th this means something to them. If you go back to the original Godzilla, of course, a metaphor uh, for a post, uh, a post nuclear world, post uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki bombing world. Like th this is material that actually meant a lot to the people who made it. So um, I would say if you go into these movies looking to on ironically laugh at them, um, you're being a little bit disrespectful, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, that, that was that one. And then just to wrap things up, uh, secret screening last night at Mayfair. I, I know they don't like, like to people usually mention the movies they, they show, but um, you know, we have a small, small audience. So I'll, I'll just say uh, their movie was the 2019 film that was actually re reshot stuff that was done in the nineties they filmed new stuff. They released it kind of like what they do with New York Ninja with Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, this is the 2019 film Masked Mutilator, a weird, strange film. It's kind of like one part slasher horror by way of a wrestler who like chokeholds people to death. And another <laughs> half is kind of like a, a movie, kind of like Friday the 13th Part 5, like a bunch of teenagers in a halfway house. They're very troubled. It's a little bit of like a weird, you know very special episode uh, type movie. And then it, it cuts to that to like horror stuff with some sleaze in between with like a character who's like the script was clearly written by a horny guy. Like the dialogue <laughs> between the two girls, this movie was just laughably bad, like horrendous. Um, the crowd, we loved it. There was some pretty big laughs in the crowd, um, including a part where one of the women who takes a very long um, gratuitous shower scene where she's, you know, very massaging her chest and washing her chest very vigorously, more than any other part of her body. Um, later in the film, she says to one of the characters, oh, I just took a bath, at which point one person in the crowd said, you just took a shower, and we all fucking like died. We were laughing, so that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, not a, not a great film by any means, though. Don't watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's about it for me. Uh, yeah, really ending on a downer there. Uh, but now we're moving into not a downer at all. Um, King Kong, uh, a great film, a um, film that, of course, um, as mentioned before, uh, set off the whole kind of monster movie 
uh, subgenre of horror and sci-fi. Yeah, and the whole Universal horror monsters thing too. You know. Yeah, even the the Universal stuff really kind of I think you can go. I mean, like the earlier stuff was coming out at the same time, but later stuff like I think like a creature from the Black Lagoon probably takes a lot of it, a little bit of influence mm. from this. And of course, as well too, with the 1950s, we would get all a lot of those American. That was really the start of like the big monster, the next big wave of monster movies was like you know them and and all those kind of early tarantula and all those like the or even like the giant gila monster which that movie is sucks ass but like those are <laughs> them you know yeah. the, big, the big the pulpy 50s era of like big monsters attacking the cities you know using and of course of those was the japanese counterpart King, uh, uh gojira and, and that kind of wave of movies so um a movie that obviously had a lot of influence there and and moreover a, a movie that i think was a, was very ahead of its time for its groundbreaking uh uh science uh, sorry special effects work uh done yeah, by, animation uh yeah, the stop motion stuff. Uh, Willis O'Brien was the animator coordinator of this. Um, he was actually um, one of the more important seminal people in, in special effects work in 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 cinema. One of his proteges being uh, a name people would, would recognize, Ray Harryhausen, who of course is kind of the mm. king of stop motion. Uh, you know, he was kind of came from working with O'Brien, and uh, um, he actually said about O'Brien, he said his second wife noticed that there was so much of kong and her husband like i think what's interesting about o'brien is that he put a lot of humanity into his stop motion stuff um which was a bit different from a lot of other filmmakers that kind of did things a little bit more flatter you know, there's a lot of emotion to kong even today when you watch it like you see him grimacing he kind of pull, even when he's fighting like the the t-rex or whatever there's like like I, i'm always struck by the part where he fights and kills one of the t-rexes he plays with his mouth, he picks, yeah. He picks up his head and like the, does the jaw thing. There's like a bit of you, you kind of see like an animal kind of you, it, it feels like a monkey, like it feels like an ape. It's something like an ape yeah, would he's, do. He's, cur- he's a, curious, you know. Yeah, there's something about that that I think is is really I mean, considering stop motion, how it's filmed, takes weeks, hours, hundreds of hours to shoot meticulous shot by shot. I mean, to do something like that and to convey that emotion in that material is just it, it, in 1933 is is ahead of its time. I mean, even to this day. I guess someone else you could kind of call a spinoff of that, you know, Phil Tippett, uh, someone who loves stop motion is kind of the modern Ray Harry, Harryhausen in a way, his most recent film, Mad God, a film that is all stop motion or mostly stop motion. Uh, you know, it, it's, there's still, there, there's not much out there like it these days. So I, I always find this material very, very fun to watch because there's just not a lot of movies being made like this. There's, there's a kind of a timelessness to it in a way um, mm. that even that you kind of see now, I think with like even early CGI, like some of that, those really shitty, like 2000 CGI movies actually kind of look good now. Cause there's like a weird, just uniqueness to their look and style. It's like, Oh, what used to be written off as shitty animation. Dog shit. Like now, now looks kind of fun. It's like, Oh, it looks so goofy. Like there's, there's a bit of like a, you can see the like uh, strings in the air and stuff like that. There's something about that, that, you know, the the process of making these movies that, you know, we love so much, but um, yeah, obviously the special effects work is something that um, people love, but of course uh, the origin of this movie. And I think this is going to be kind of a big part of our discussion of course is, you know, this movie's association with race and racism, of course, um, you know, the filmmakers themselves have, have talked about it and said, like, you know, they they weren't intentionally trying to make a racist movie. But I mean, like, for the love of God, I mean, the plot is about a bunch of white guys, the directors and stuff going yeah. to this island of, Did, you know, they, I mean, do they even film a movie? I don't even think he has much footage at the end of the movie. You know? No, I don't get anything. <laughs> like, they rooted for pretty... all the indigenous people. There's nothing left. You know? Yeah, they're, they're, they're going there with Phil Sock. And, you know, of course, they go there and then. They go to shoot the natives and they disrupt a big ceremony and then Anne gets kidnapped and 
you know, all those hijinks ensue. Uh, what I guess what people would probably be most struck by watching this movie is, is how violent it is. This was this came mm-hmm. out the year before the Hays Code, before the censorship and film for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, if, if this came out a year later, it's a much different movie. This movie has a lot of fucking death in it. Yeah, you uh, see, like, people getting chomped on. It's more gory than Jurassic Park, you know, with the animation. Yeah, it is. Guys. I think more people die than Jurassic Park. A sauropod. <laughs> Yeah. And like we get shots of the dummies falling and like hitting the ground. Like, I mean, you you could tell they're it's not yeah, like one one by one. (laughs) It's it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, they're on the log and and King Kong's rolling the log, and you just you know, a movie today, you would see them go like ah, and maybe you would see like a body, like I don't know, there'd be blood or something, but even when he fights but when he fights the dinosaur too, there's like blood coming out of his mouth, and then there's like blood coming out of King Kong when he's on the Empire State Building, too. It's pretty graphic. Yeah, and I and I forgot like even when he climbs up the building, when he's trying to grab Anne and find Anne, he grabs that random woman, the wrong girl, and throws her away. And she scre- and he just throws her away. He's like she's screaming and just chucks her. I'm like, there's a this movie has a fucking body count. Like more, this King Kong has killed more people than like Jason and like Freddy combined in this movie. Like it's uh this movie's got a very long kill count. But uh, but going back to kind of what we're saying about sort of its its origins, like this movie actually kind of came from a wave of like. Uh, in the 1920s, like, you know, when the talkies kind of came about, you know, this period of time, there had been kind of a wave of like monkey and jungle movies. These were kind of like ostensibly kind of the like proto like Mondo movies in a way that we would get with like the Italian filmmakers. So, uh, you know, one of these films was uh, uh, Ingagi, which came out in 1930. Um, it actually kind of involved, I believe, like a big ape. So it was kind of like a big influence uh, for King Kong. And a lot of these movies actually did commercially well as, as well, too. Um, so, of course, uh, that was sort of the origin of it. Uh, the idea, of course, King Kong just to be more high level. Uh, a director uh, played by Robert Armstrong named uh, uh, Carl Denham. I, I don't know what director if he's supposed to be kind of inspired by, like kind of like a like a Hawks. Like a, I don't know, he's like one of these early uh, Hollywood guys that sort of uh, makes these big uh, swashbuckling action movies and he adventure movies, and he uh, wants to make a new movie with like exotic jungle settings and stuff like that. But he needs to get a girl, so he runs into some random lady at a fruit stand and, and, and in Andero and she gets the part. She, she auditions with her great scream. I, I'll be honest. I found the first kind of 30 minutes. This to be pretty slow. It kind of looks like a met. It's not shot very well. It looks pretty. There's no really great shots. It's also hemi, extremely hemi sexist. Acting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so sexist. They're just like, Oh, you're a fucking woman. Oh, you have a woman on the like, boat before. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like <laughs> it, it made me think of, you know, the Simpsons parody where, where seem worse. Um, Smithers is like, well, sir, I think uh, women and semen don't mix. And uh, Burns is like, oh, we all know what you think. Uh, it, it actually made that scene fun here because this movie <laughs> is so like oddly like, oh, he man, woman hater vibe in the first 30 minutes. It's just like a bunch of men talking about, oh, we got to bring a woman on board. And it's like, OK, and, we're, and then she's kind of depicted like the... a, she's depicted like an airhead, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's not a very smart woman. Disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although it's kind of I mean great performance like Faye Ray I mean the, the OG scream queen um, and also someone who almost was almost nearly um, in King Kong the uh, Peter Jackson movie because she lived very long she had passed away I think in in 2005 uh, she was in like her mid 90s and uh, allegedly uh, Peter Jackson wanted her to be in uh, the, the remake of King Kong but uh, wasn't able to cast her and of course she passed away the same year but someone who lived actually quite a long time it would have been really cool if she actually had made an appearance in that movie um, I think she was actually supposed to say the um, you know the Carl Denham line "Twas beauty killed the beast she was actually supposed to show up and actually say it at the end um, uh, which would have been kind of hokey but I think would have been kind of <laughs> cool to see but um, yeah the, the first 30 minutes of this uh, kind of a bore it's a lot of uh, 
a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue, a lot of flat uh, shots. There's not a lot yeah. of stuff going on. It's all I, in a I boat. We don't I, even I, see like the ocean. It's. I didn't really like the characters. Yeah, yeah I didn't really like that that idiot director, and I didn't like that like misogynist sailor guy. You oh, know? Jack Driscoll or I, whatever. I like, the, I like the Chinese guy, and I like King Kong and, and the monkey that we'd only see for five seconds. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I like two of my two of the five characters I liked were both monkeys or apes. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I tell yeah. you, you need to know about this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and like yeah, and 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 like it falls in love with Jack, or I guess Jack falls in love with her. And I didn't really understand what how they and why they fell in love because like there's like one scene where they, <laughs> they have nothing in common. <laughs> yeah, there's like nothing to them. But um, this is all leading, of course, to they get to uh, I guess Skull Island. This is the island where the natives are on, um, and of course. We find out that uh, they worship this god Kong. They refer to Kong. Uh, they get there, of course, and after they kidnap Anne, they bring her back as sort of like a, a almost like a gift to her to Kong. I guess she's supposed to be like a, a ritual sacrifice or or something. It's not totally clear if Kong's supposed to eat her or or what. But anyways, Kong shows up and actually just grabs her and takes her and takes off into the jungle and. All the men then chase Kong, and uh, we get extremely gory and also kind of sad uh, scenes because we see a lot of dinosaurs. It's an island with like dinosaurs, including a stegosaurus, which they brutally fucking kill for no reason. Although yeah. I guess it does charge them, but like they just they get they attack it, they provoke it, and go after it, and then like it, it, it like dies, and then it comes back to life again. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. They're like, shoot it, and it's like, ah. well, I'm the, like, the, I, the, I was like about to cry. I felt felt bad for it. And then the sauropod that's like a plesiosaur, and then suddenly it's like a, a it's like a bron- br- brachiosaurus or something, and then it's like eating oh, them. And I'm like, what, yeah. what 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 dinosaur lesson is this? <laughs> this is like this is like early dinosaur. Well, dinosaurs would have been known, but like this early, was like uh, early era of people knowledge of dinosaurs. There's a, there's a line where he's like, what is that? He's like, oh, I think it's a member of the dinosaur family. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is like before they knew dinosaurs had feathers and all this shit. Like even the design of the T-Rex is very classic because we we later learned that T-Rexes were more horizontal, like, you know, bird-like. Uh, this is still in the era of dinosaurs is like pure lizards. So the T-Rex is all upright and looks really scaly, but uh, really great sound effects work to fully work with, you know, King Kong with his roaring and it's very visceral. Even to this day, what he's like doing is like, Rah! like it's yeah. it, the sound work in this is credible um and even the the t-rex as well too it's 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 quite something um but yeah i felt it kind of sad that all those fucking dinosaurs were getting yeah and then king kong know, I, I i i felt really bad for king kong i felt bad for the indigenous people they left lost their homes and then like they lose their god and like oh man and he comes back and steps on them <laughs> the freaking freaking white guy yeah. is cut his freaking white director is cutting his way through the crowd i'm a direct the film director so what man like you can't just cross police line you know like <laughs> yeah and i i think i think the film does a really great job of kind of seamlessly going into different special effects we get a lot of uh kind of far out scenes of the stop yeah. motion king kong and also stop motion and like they do like the characters themselves the stop well, they do the, the close-ups with, is that with a puppet i think with the close yeah the with close-up. his mouth and he's yeah. like a big grin he's like that, that's pretty fun <laughs> which which has some good moments and uh yeah the, the the people get flattened in the mud with this big foot that lands on them is kind of fun but uh yeah really great how they kind of go in between those um but uh, yeah, there is something kind of like uh, sad about that. But uh, King Kong himself is a bit destructive. He he's constantly showing up, and animal dinosaurs are trying to kill him, and he just kicks her ass, and he's just kicking everyone. Fighting the pterosaur, the fighting the snake, fighting the dinosaur. Yeah, he's taking. He's just he can't he can't walk two steps without someone trying to fuck him up. He's like, all right, man, like leave me alone for like five minutes. But he's just going after them. Um, but of course, the heart of this movie is that uh, those men end up getting Anne back. King Kong goes after them, you know, along the way, destroys the native village. They end up because they have gas bombs on their ship. 
they end up gassing Kong. They end up taking him back to New York City. I guess, as you're saying, I guess Carl doesn't make a movie. He kind of just no, he doesn't comes have back with King Kong and says, oh, I don't have a film, but my premiere is going to be look at this giant fucking monkey. And yeah, we'll like, do did, an interview. You fool, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? You know? <laughs> yeah, and so King Kong's there and they're taking photos. He's getting all agitated. And he's like, don't worry, this is chrome steel. Very strong. And the, the flashes and are still going on. Yeah. Kong just rips them off like nothing and then goes on a genuinely destructive rampage. Like he knocks down the building. Yeah, he throws through. that poor poor women out the window. Yeah, and, and he also did the breaks the 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 Scott the the tram car going above the city. He kind of climbs up and yeah and messes around with that too. Like uh I, I forgot like how destructive he actually is in this. For some reason I had just uh, assumed he wasn't. Um and it's actually interesting that there was actually stuff that was so violent it was cut from this movie. Um, there's notably a, a scene that was supposed to be in this film that was actually uh, then done in the Peter Jackson King Kong, which is the scene where some of the men fall into the kind of ravine down below. Uh, there's a scene where they're they're all down there and then they get attacked by bugs and insects and and critters and it's very it was deemed at the time it was like i think it was a lost scene it was deemed like too terrifying and yet i remember actually the peter jackson one i thought the movie was kind of like fine but i remember being very disturbed by that scene where they fall into yeah, the pit and like they kill the guy they're plays, getting eaten by the slugs yeah. or whatever yeah like they the, kill the ship the leeches cook, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the leeches like sucking yep. his head oh god yeah it's very scary and uh but what's interesting i think it's i think it was actually on the dvd of that movie was that um, Peter Jackson actually found like original material from King Kong, the original King Kong and actually reshot and redid the lost uh, bug scene. So on the DVD, I think it's on YouTube as well. If you search like King Kong bug insect scene, uh, you'll, you'll find he actually recreated it and then re did like a, a restoration of it. And it's, it's really good. So, um, you know, we'll talk influences. Peter Jackson, of course, is someone who was very influenced by King Kong um, and kind of a whole generation of filmmakers as well, too. Yeah, Harry Housen, too, you know, as a protege. Yeah, and, and of course, yeah, and certainly obviously overseas in Japan with Ishiro Honda, with all of his kind of big budget. Not even, I think, Ishiro Honda, people just assume Godzilla, but Ishiro Honda did Rodan, uh, Mothra, um, Frankenstein uh, versus the whatever, the Gargantuans, where the Gargantuans, he did a whole wave of very similar style movies, obviously, uh, in deference to King Kong. But, you know, King Kong doesn't last long even, in New York, gets shot. Even, even the Lost and... World, too, you know, like the yeah. uh, Jurassic Park, you know, you have that scene where the T-Rex comes to uh, L.A., I guess, and that's kind of like King Kong, too. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think about that, but it's like, yeah, it's like the the creature on the island is now in America, and, uh, you know, King Kong, is he's, he's in the heart of world's capital and the tallest building then the tallest building of the world uh of course then shot shot down by the planes and a very heart heartbreaking scene i felt so bad for king kong where he's yeah you know, he's actually bleeding and he kind of touches his chest and sees the blood and you know he's you know, gonna like, die it felt like a little yeah. bit of uh you know it's interesting seeing that before world war ii you know as well in the rise of the nazis in germany because you know there's a lot of like american exceptionalism there too with testing the mm -hmm. the, pl the planes and everything too and you know, and the, the the film director's attitude too, and that's kind of interesting coming before the war. You know, yeah. kind of a hint of of America's you know role to play in the war and beyond, uh, which is interesting. yeah. I thought about that in the fact that it's ending in New York. You know, the you know mm. which at then was kind of rival with London for capital, and then of course, as you say, following World War II, the United States is the head, the world hegemon, mm. uh, New York City as the ultimate city of of the world, and you know King Kong being the symbol of that. You know, climbing on the building, yeah, it was very much kind of coming ahead of its time there and uh yeah it's a heartbreaking scene too where kong and i i did kind of laugh because when king kong falls off the building like you see the puppet fucking 
fall and oh, he hits his head a few hit times. The side yeah. of the tower and fall. I'm like, damn! Like he, I rewatched the Peter Jackson version. You don't see him actually like hit. You just see him fall. It's very yeah. emotional to you with Naomi Watts where he kind of slides it's away. Sa- it's very, very sad. sympathetic. Yeah, it, it's sad in this one, but it's like. Oh yeah, this is it's like when the guy falls to the Titanic and hits the propeller. It's like, oh fuck. It's like <laughs> the scale of it is pretty it's horrible to watch. It's just I mean like, you feel that you feel that hit oh. on the way down. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, Godzilla or sorry, not Godzilla, Jesus, King Kong. I'm mixing up my monsters. Uh King Kong uh is sadly dead, and then Carl Denham gets in that line, uh twice beauty kill the beach, which is a you know, it's a very well read line, but doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I don't know what they're trying to go with the theme of this movie that like cause beasts. Oh, well, I, I don't know. They, I don't, they, keep, they, they, they use the beauty and the beast thing as sort of like a, a, a like a motif. Like at the beginning of the movie, there's that like title card with like the what is it like old Arabic proverb? The old Arabic proverb. Like, yeah. I'm like, is that is that true? I need to see a citation on that. Like, yeah, is, is that the like Quran a, or where is it? Is this apocryphal? I don't know how true <laughs> this quote is. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, King Kong, of course um ma- massive success when it came out um it released new york city it uh had a ton of buzz um it was an interesting film too because p- post-production you know a lot of audio stuff was really kind of cutting into time to fully work for the monster sounds um it was also the first talkie with a full length score because a lot of talkies at the time um used scores like background music so this is one of the early kind of films to pioneer the idea of a score and max steiner who's like a total hollywood legend of of film scores he he did the score on this movie um it's one of his earliest scores as well too he actually took influence from opera so he used like light light motifs and stuff to kind of make the movie the music more emotive so it's it's a score as well an influence ahead of its time too for film for score makers and and uh people like to come like with i think with stuff like john john williams i think takes a lot of influence as well too from some of the the, the max steiner stuff um for his films of course when this came out again release pre-haze code so um they did actually, as mentioned again, cut out stuff, the insect scene, uh, some of it, and and also when this was 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 a uh, um, shot over and and uh, overseas as well too. When they released it, it also had some uh, cuts there as well too. Um, but yeah, the the original the original insect footage is mentioned. That footage is is now lost. Um, although again, some of it uh, remains, and Peter Jackson was able to use some of it for. Uh, the restoration, the film as well too was actually lost for a long time. Uh, you know, back you know back in this day, of course, film preservation was horrendous. Nitrate <laughs> film, of course, was famously flammable and would get destroyed and catch fire. Uh, RKO, you know, the the production company, the distributor behind this film, uh, they um, did not preserve any copies of this film's negative. Uh, so for many years, like most of the footage, the original footage was lost. Um, in in 1969, a 16 mil, uh, millimeter print which also included some of the censored footage post Hays Code uh, was found. And then they added some of the cutscenes to the film. Um, later, uh, Janus Films in the 70s uh, re-released the film to the art, house, art houses. That's actually kind of where this film kind of built its its really, um, its reputation. Because, I mean, this film was very successful. It, it, it was, you know, shot, it was played on TV a little bit. But again, it was censored. But it was really like in the 70s when... Um, Kind of the wave of filmmakers the new filmmakers who grew up with this film as influence and and stuff like that um this film really kind of started to kind of build its reputation and that's where you know you get a lot of filmmakers like peter jackson who they were growing up would have watched this film as a kid then um and again this had a 4k restoration uh, a, few, a couple few years ago um it actually took six years to do the restoration from the source film print so this was a very uh 
slow process. This also is another film we mentioned before, I think with Casablanca, some of these films got like colorized on like Turner classics. They would do like the colored version and they look terrible. This film also got the color. I've never seen it in color, but I'm sure it looks so bad, but it got the color treatments. Although again, it's not like a very, it's not like Casablanca where it's a noir and it's very layered and shadowy. Like this film, I, I found it cinematically at least the first half to be kind of placid, but when it gets going, I think this movie really kind of purrs along. There's just a lot of like nonstop action and it's it's for a 1933 movie. You got to keep in mind, like the time and place, like very, very of its time. I actually, I actually really liked it too. Like, I mean, I find I have problems with a lot of pacing with a lot of older films, but this one for me was consistently good. I think it was because I knew what was coming, you know, like going to the Skull Island too. And there's that kind of tension, you know, getting to Skull Island too. But uh, yeah, once it gets going, it's uh, off the chain basically like king kong <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah like king kong and yeah what, what's actually interesting is that you know nowadays like uh um you know the film is is well regarded um at the, at the time you know it was also pretty well regarded people thought it was just a very thrilling just uh, blockbuster uh kind of a you know proto blockbuster um it kind of became like a piece of like as pauline kale called it uh when she was talking about the uh 1976 remake she called it like a pop deity like king kong was just up there with like all you know like, like the universal monsters just like you know an upper echelon of like back then of like the the film world an item of film history um in, in 1975 uh king kong was named as one of the 50 best american films and was also rated as such in the 98 list so you know this movie's been kind of considered one of the best american films now for like going on 67 years uh for better or for worse because i mean that means it kind of gets canonized above other stuff uh that's always sort of the consequence of those things but i i do think well deserved i think this movie it does have its issues i i was kind of thinking about kind of the environmentalism because i think you can kind of look at the film as well too like we oftentimes associate like with these monster movies environmentalism is kind of at the heart of it like godzilla is a living walking metaphor of the you know uh, post Nagasaki post Hiroshima the anxieties of Japan and Godzilla is meant to represent that and I think like in this in this film Kong is like the the god of an island of a place mm. that has no modern influence of a like, capitalism and 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 human business and where does Kong end up dying getting shot to death on the tallest building in the world in the world's capital of capital and business so you know and and the fact that the filmmakers say the movie's not racist when the movie's about a bunch of colonists going to an island and like destroying it and taking its god away like there's and, and the, there's the white, the white woman about the, that. the white woman's like suddenly the the hot topic you know as soon as she appears you know they're kind of always putting her on a pedestal yeah 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 and of course i mean the iconography of the film of like the monkey holding the white woman i mean king kong has been cited in a lot of stuff um in context for it's for it being uh you know racist uh racist or you know i i put on, on our document no one can, listening at home could see but there's some pictures i put on one of them is like the enlist u.s army i believe this was uh, for the second world war it's a picture of it looks just like the king kong poster with the monkey holding like who looks like a fey ray like a white woman and holding a big club it's supposed to be like a germans it's like you know destroy this mad brute and uh very recent controversial well less recent but um a few years ago or maybe this was like a decade ago a vogue magazine did a cover with lebron james holding uh giselle Bunchen, and she's uh kind of posed like fey ray and he's kind of holds his arm has his arms out with the basketball yelling uh posed just like king kong and it kind of brought up uh some controversy because again with the association of of black people uh with these kind of uh films of being depicted as like as ape leg or stuff like that there's a long kind of sordid 
um, racist tradition in kind of film and entertainment as well, too. Uh, going back to stuff like even outside of filming human zoos, the idea of people being taken um, from these from these lands, black people, people of color, and being depicted as savage or not unhuman like, and you know, this is a deep racist kind of history. Yeah, and I mean, he they don't respect them too. He goes and he's just starting to film too. You know, there's no consent too, and that's one thing my girlfriend and I noticed too. There's no consent with you know filming these cultures too. There's no respect shown. They're just kind yeah. of automatically expected to kind of they just uh, show up and start yeah. filming them. Yeah, and they get rightly pissed off like this is a religious ceremony. I mean, I throw I throw a spear. Disrespecting. <laughs> Yeah, like they're like this is a this is disrespecting our ceremony, and I mean they're they're right actually. I mean this is coming from the legacy of nineteenth century kind of colonialist yeah. uh, texts about about the stuff uh, often pit played for laughs or getting enjoyment out of the the um, exotic uh, exoticism, and it's it's it is that, deeply it's problematic at the minimum. Burn. It's a white man's burden really all over again. Yeah. That, <laughs> exactly, um, and yeah, even then, like. Uh, it's 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 kind of interesting though the film was actually banned in nazi germany uh with the censors describing it as an attack attack against the nerves of the german people and That's a sick. violation of german race feeling however according to the confident ernst uh i can't remember his name but uh apparently adolf hitler was fascinated by the film watched it several times so you know noted king kong lover himself but it's kind of i found interesting this movie was banned there uh you know considering all things considered but uh you know, I, I think there, you know, so, some scholars have also looked the film kind of with its race and also romantic because I mean, God's, uh, King Kong's not in a romantic relationship, but he is kind of enamored by Faye and there's mm-hmm. the whole beauty and beast thing the idea that he's kind of like seduced by her or like you know captivated by her beauty uh they they kind of also view the lens of like interracial romance the idea of king kong is this you know ape other ape, like, other kind of other other thi- yeah and, and so there's definitely there's definitely that to it I, I went into this movie thinking oh you know the racist angle it's not gonna be that bad and i kind of came away it was pretty like, cringy. you know what it is pretty racist yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I try, bad, I try, yeah, when but... i watched it too i was trying to suspend my my you know contemporary critical thing but you yeah. can't just unsee it right when it's you watch tough, it yeah but yeah. I mean, I, I will say if if for that reason alone, you can't watch this film or you don't like it. I mean, I'm not going to hold that against you, but I will say this film, it, it fucking rules the, the, the yeah. special effects are well, incredible. You could, you could just like YouTube, if you is... don't want to watch the racial elements, you could always just YouTube the, uh, the, the, the battle scenes and stuff. But I feel like that's taken away from the film too, you know, just watch. I, I mean, YouTube. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do watch the scene where it starts off, where they go after Anne through to basically New York you're getting the, really the best the best part of the film uh to be honest i, I think all of that stuff is is really cinematic really like engaging uh really like audacious filmmaking too the way that they use depth with stop motion of faraway scenes using stop motion to kind of give give you kind of a macro level look and then the scenes where they're walking past the dinosaurs where they're you know they're like smaller compared to the stop motion the way they use that it's really really um fascinating um so i think the film in that regard is really great i guess we can then get into our ratings then about what yeah. we thought then so uh curtis what'd you would you give king kong so this was my second time watching it obviously uh, i'm a big fan of uh, peter jackson's king kong adaptation too so i actually watched that one before i had watched this one uh, a lot of fun coming back to it there's just a lot i appreciate a lot more like the animation sequences obviously i think that's the you know if you're looking for one reason to watch it um i think yeah. it's the animation sequences too uh, as I said, I, I didn't really connect with any of the characters. I mean, probably the Chinese guy and the and the monkey and King Kong. But uh, uh, but like you said too, obviously King Kong's quite problematic too because he's you know quite a destructive character too. Um, 
But yeah, I, I did enjoy coming back to it too. I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. It's not my favorite Universal Monsters one. I, I think uh, my favorite is probably the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I, I'm kind of keen to see the Wolfman and a couple others too. But it was kind of fun coming back to it too. And I think for a black and white film, um, if you're looking for one that'll really hold your interest, I think this is one that's pretty consistent. So um, pretty good in my books. What did you think? Yeah, and uh, I, I was going to mention as well, too, like, uh, I, th I can't remember the first time I watched this movie. I think I would have seen it probably on TV when I was younger. Uh, but I do, again, I remember as well, too, uh, the, the Peter Jackson one when that came out. That was uh, a film. I remember seeing that. I had a friend. We wanted to go see a movie. And, and she was like, so we have a choice between King Kong and the Chronicles of Narnia. And I was like, uh, all right, I want to go see King Kong. So that was the moment where I watched that also had a very good uh, video game adaptation as well too, like a first person shooter kind of shooter game, very odd game. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think this film is, uh, is, is very good. You know, there's elements of it, obviously that looking at it from kind of a contemporary lens, as we mentioned, um, you can kind of obviously see some criticisms. I mean, the first half hour of this brutally slow, boring, very sexist too. It's kind of tough to watch. It, it visually kind of looks flat. I, I'm kind of surprised how bad the first half hour of this movie looks. It's kind of uninspired. A little bit of like foreshadowing stuff, but it's very kind of on the nose. Uh, but man, when they get to Skull Island, when they're finally going after King Kong, that entire sequence, it's really It doesn't really let fun. go. <laughs> I, I, it does not let go. It's I, my attention was I. I remember recently I was just wa you, watching it on YouTube, and I watch. I put on like the video, and I ended up. I was working, and I ended up just watching it for like forty. I was like, this is so fun to watch. Like it's great. Um, and it, you brought up a good point though. As a nineteen thirty three film, not many movies this this older older that really keep that can really kind of get contemporary attention to the same degree like audiences well. I think even if you put this in a room full of like teenagers, people would would be into it and watch it. So I'm. I mean. Again, a total seminal work ahead of its time. So so influential for special effects work. Um, and I love Godzilla. You don't get to Godzilla from King Kong. And Godzilla even fought King Kong because, again, Toho acquired the rights to King Kong. So they've King Kong's appeared in the, those movies, uh, which is pretty fun. Uh, I gave it a 4.5. I wanted to give it a 5, but there were some <laughs> elements to it. I, I was kind of surprised how boring like the first half hour was. I was like, oh my God, it's get yeah, I, I'm like, I was looking at the top of the watch. I was like, oh, because my wife was watching with me. And then she's like, I'm gonna go to bed because she's like, this is so boring. It's too slow. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys talking about how women suck or whatever. She's like, okay, I, I can't really get into this. Hard so, enough. <laughs> um, but you know, once once it gets going, it gets going. So I I would say it's definitely worth worth it then for that. So well, overall though, we gave it, I guess you and me combined, we're a four out of five. So I mean, we're still pretty high on it. Um, you kind of have to watch it. It's such an important film in film history. Like if you're a somebody, if you're a cinephile or someone cares about kind of, you know, engaging with the film canon, the greater film canon, um, you're going to be watching this movie. This is something you have to watch. Something that set the stage so much for, you know, early proto blockbuster filmmaking, um, special effects work to come with like 50s monster movies through to the 70s and 80s and and um, it, and all of that. So it, it's very interesting to that regard. Um a film of its time um and something that is still around king kong is still making appearances people love him um he influenced a lot of filmmakers as well too like he's he's, he's still he's still it's there infiltrated its way into the north america the western subconscious you know pop culture subconscious yeah. <laughs> he's one of those characters that he's like he's not 
technically i guess king kong i don't think king kong's public domain but like he might as well be like king kong yeah. at this point is there's even like the hand of barbera like the the gorilla is like king kong like there's so many other things that he's, are he's like, in he's in some bar with next to marilyn monroe and and elvis presley or something <laughs> and and forgot to mention another famous kong uh that was influenced by king kong uh donkey kong was also of course yeah that's by right kong. the the original donkey kong game being uh paulina kidnapped by the king kong or by yeah, he's throwing the, bar- up he's in the, the barrels yeah and Jumpman having to go up and then you know mario so i mean that was very much you know obviously inspired directly by king kong so um you know influences everywhere so you're even if you've never watched king kong you've almost certainly seen a parody of it or you've seen some sort of adaptation um why not check out the original thing so definitely check out king kong um it's also on the internet it's uh i watched i think i watched an amazon prime video but you can find it anywhere you can go to the library it's there's a copy of it somewhere um definitely would recommend it um so that wraps up king kong um i guess up next then what we're, we're gonna be watching next we're gonna be back to our uh really scott watch series we're gonna be checking out legend so that, i've never watched Legend. have you seen legend before is that is i have that seen legend yeah i have to say oh, i uh cool. i tim curry's it's worth watching for tim curry a lot of the stuff with tom cruise in between isn't as good but we'll talk about that more next week but it's uh it's, Maverick. it's you know yeah, uh visual, visually it's it's dazzling so i'm excited to hear what you think and tim curry cool. worth watching for alone so darkness <laughs> yeah we're gonna have uh, a guest on as well to you katie who's a friend of the show she had mentioned before on this program that she loves legend it's one of her favorite movies so she's gonna be on as well too um yeah i've never seen legend i'm very excited to check it out i think it's on disney plus so i might uh just watch it maybe probably not tonight but maybe like tomorrow i'll, I'll watch it ahead of time take take some notes um so we'll, we'll be watching that we got more stuff to come um my, my next guess, canon picks canon coming films. too yeah yeah what's what's your next one i think it's rolling thunder, rolling thunder i think yeah i think yeah. that's the one That'll be fun. <laughs> I've got one coming up as well too. I wanted to talk uh, Back to the Future. My probably my favorite movie, like top three. It's a great movie. Top two. Muddy, muddy. My my favorite like mainstream like blockbuster film. Um, it's yeah. I I I I probably watch Back to the Future more than like most movies. I watch it every year. I've been watching it every year since I was like thirteen. Uh, so I've seen it a lot of times. Love that movie. Um, so we'll talk about that too. And uh, there's also a special topic movie, uh, a discussion I want to do. I haven't decided I want to do it because I kind of want to write some notes on it. But I, I want to do an episode talking about going to the, the movie theaters or cinemas. So, like, what do we like about movie theaters? What What's our experience as kids going to them? Do we have favorites? You know, we're, we're all from Ottawa, so we can talk about Ottawa ones. But we can talk about ones that we've been to outside of Ottawa as well, too. Why do we still go to the theater? What's special about the theater? Because I think nowadays, you know, people are are less and less inclined to go to them outside of the like art house indie stuff, um, for better or for worse. So I mean, there's something to the effect of going to these places because if we don't, then all we're gonna get forever is like mm. Netflix movies, and that's not good. Or like stuff, Avengers so. twenty or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, Avengers meets the uh, Emily in Paris. 13 oh, or something. my brain cells Mini are dying series. already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's gonna be me. the Avengers oh. of the Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get uh, the very best. We'll get a Stranger Things, and I mean, you know, that's something. So, <laughs> well, we'll see. So, uh, yeah, that's what's coming up. So, anything you want to uh, mention, though, Curtis, before you uh, uh, wrap up? Well, it's not really related. My book, my book just came out, and I have a oh, new yeah, Stephen, Stephen Stephen King book chapter coming out on vampires and theology. So, uh, yeah, you, so make sure you plug it as well too. So, yeah, Curtis mm-hmm. uh, has a book that just came out. You can actually purchase it. Um, you can order for your library. It. It's a little bit cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably like an ebook version, right? Like you could just buy it as an ebook. I think so. Yeah, than, yeah. 
But if you want to buy like a hard copy, like Curtis will sign it. I was telling before the show, just like Donald Trump, he'll get the Sharpie out and write a big blocky signature on it and send it your I way. I hate up. Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, you know, yeah. So, you know, uh, all the proceeds go to the the Sea Strike movie podcast. No, I don't, but uh, no, definitely if you're interested. Yeah, Curtis, Curtis's book, very, very excited. Talking about alchemy in the Middle Ages, his scholarly focus. Um, and looking at, I guess, like Chaucer and some of those. John Gower, and, yeah, some more obscure stuff John too. Gower. It's a yeah. lot of fun. <laughs> I'm getting traumatic flashbacks to my like first, second year English where I didn't do as well as he did, I think, on those classes. I oh, was, that's uh, all right. <laughs> it's I a lot. I didn't have a heart for them. Yeah, I didn't have a heart for them, but uh, I would probably enjoy them now more. Chaucer trauma. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have Chaucer trauma, uh, CTSD or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so that. Definitely check that out. And of course, his article coming out soon about uh, 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 Salem's Lot and Stephen King and, and looking at that. Uh, so shout out yeah, to the, Curtis, shout out to the we'll boys. The shout out to the boys. So we mentioned the Seat Struck po- movie podcast in the article too. So it should be fun when it comes out. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I guess uh, anything else? I think, uh, I think we're pretty I think that's good everything. Yeah. All See right, you next folks. time.